I've been studying in my own quiet time and partly due to a, a Bible study that I'm a part of on Thursdays, but I've been in the what are called minor prophets. And we call them minor prophets not because of their message, but because of their length. And God has just renewed and, and, and reminded me of the great truths that are in a lot of these books that, if we're honest, go untouched. I mean... When's the last time you, you just thought, you felt led to study through Lamentations? Um, and yet, the truths are rich. And so, we, we looked at Habakkuk a couple weeks ago in connection to Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. And, you know, how do we respond uh, to a great God in the midst of tragedy? And, and Habakkuk, Habakkuk dealt, dealt with that. And I hope, I hope I handled Habakkuk well for you. And... Today I want to look at Lamentations, and I'm out of town next week. Uh, Ray Sanabria is going to preach. He does a phenomenal job with the Word. He's the missions minister from, from Idlewild, and uh, he's going he's gonna to preach. And then I'm going to preach on the 18th, Lord willing, on Haggai. And uh, you're probably thinking, I never heard of it. Exactly. That's why. That's why we're going to study it. Phenomenal, phenomenal truths. Phenomenal truths. Challenging truths. What what we see today uh, is a challenging truth, and 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 I thought about this weeks ago, and and kind of laid it out. And as I was preparing this week, I was reminded just how important, how necessary, how needed uh, a reminder is of the never-ending faithfulness of God. I mean, a lot happened this week in the life of, of this church. Uh, Thursday morning as I was, uh, I kind of study all week and make a lot of notes and try to get an outline going and all these things. And then Thursday, try to cook the meal, if you will, or put meat on the bones. And Maria called me about the sudden death of their 18-year-old granddaughter. And then Tim Harvey's brother had him, went into cardiac arrest. Ashley Rickles' father was told there was nothing else that they can do to help him with regards to his cancer, and he was transferred into hospice. And Roger Martin's mother passed away last Sunday or Saturday night, and we need answers. We need comfort. If we're going to face these things, we need more than just what the world offers you. Four steps to this, three steps to this. We need, we need confidence in who God is. And you know, I'm not in a church of this size. I'm not immune. I'm not unaware to uh, the suffering that many of you in here are currently facing, have faced will face suffering is a reality in the world we live in a world that's marred by sin that's we deal with the consequences of our own sin we deal with the consequences of other sin we have a heavenly father who uh, Deuteronomy 8 talks about we don't know our own hearts sometimes and he walks us through things to reveal to us our own hearts and and that's the reality of us being sinners. The consequences of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. There's all, listen, sin always results in some form of death. 
always. The wages of sin is death. I attached on the back of your sermon notes uh, eight biblical reasons we suffer. Biblical reasons. James 1-2 says, says to persevere when we face various trials. Trials come at us in all kinds of shapes, all kinds of sizes. And, he, and it's interesting, in that context, James 1-5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God. Listen, that, that wisdom is in the context of suffering. The context there is, God, what's going on? What are you teaching me? What do I need to learn from this? What are you doing in the midst of this? Eight, eight, there may be more. There's just eight biblical reasons, and I tried to support those with, with verses in that. Some of us in here I'd suffer, have suffered greatly. Some of us are currently suffering greatly. And the reality is this, some of us... Some of us think, that's not me. Just wait. You might one day suffer greatly. You know, the truth is that as a pastor, I, I want to equip us to be, to be prepared to be able to face whatever we face and to do it and be steadfast and immovable. To, to be a 1 Corinthians 15, 58 church that we will be immovable, always abounding in the grace of the Lord. Why? Because we have, a, we have a Savior who has conquered our enemies. But we also have a God who will never cease to be faithful. And we need to understand that because when these things happen, that's usually where our minds go. And Lamentations equips us to have hope and strength no matter what we face. Karen and I were talking about it last night, and we watch a, we watch a show together when we can, and some events happened, and I was talking to her about the sermon, and I just said, Karen, you know, what's your worst nightmare? Worst scenario? And last night she le- leaned over, and I know what it is. I know what it is. We're honest with each other. I know what it is with her. And she said, Chris, that's it right there. And even as I, I was... Honestly, I was hesitating. I, I hesitated even opening this book up because I know many of you in here have faced your worst nightmare. You are facing your worst nightmare. And I'm not preaching lamentations to pull those scabs off. I'm not, I hope you know my heart. My, my, my role as shepherd, as pastor, is to prepare us, to remind us, it's to equip us, to mature us, that we'd be steadfast and immovable, that we'd not be tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine, that we'd be able to face no matter what with the confidence and the assurance of who our great God is. And, and I believe Lamentations equips us to do this. Lamentations 3 is one of the, my favorite chapters in all the Bible. We have it written in our kitchen, a portion of it. And so I want to I open up today to Lamentations and equip us. Lamentations is made up of five laments. If you were to look at the, the, the book, each chapter has 22 verses. Those verses 
It's beautiful. Those verses correspond to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse in Lamentations begins in chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5, begin with the next letter of the alphabet. 22 letters in the alphabet, 22 verses. Chapter 3 is the pinnacle of Lamentations, 66 verses. Why? Because he designates three, three verses to every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The pinnacle of that verse is the unending, never-ceasing faithfulness of God. Your loving kindnesses, they never cease. Your compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the midst of your worst nightmare, great is God's faithfulness. In the midst of Israel's worst nightmare, listen, great was the faithfulness of God. And that's really the context of Lamentations. Israel's worst nightmare. Their worst nightmare. Babylon has come in, has destroyed Jerusalem, has taken the people. Exile, the people of God have, are suffering. And listen, they're suffering because of their sin. They're being punished. They're being disciplined. Not by accident. Not by circumstance, not by happenstance. They're being disciplined by their Heavenly Father because of their sin. And Jeremiah, who is the author of Lamentations, is believed that he goes to great lengths to make sure we understand that, listen, Babylon was not doing this on their own. God was doing this to Israel. He was disciplining them for their sin. You can go all the way back to Deuteronomy 28 through 30. There were covenant blessings for, for obedience. There were covenant curses for disobedience. Listen, God's faithfulness cuts both ways. Hear me. I, I, more than anything, I want us to hear that. God's faithfulness cuts both ways. He's faithful to bless where He says He's going to bless. And He's faithful to discipline where He says He's going to discipline. And God is the author of what is happening to Jerusalem, to Israel. Their friends are gone, their freedoms are gone, their temple is gone, God's people are being disciplined and, and judged because of their sin. How would they respond? Where would they turn? When, when, where would they lean? And, and God includes this here for, for all generations to see. And I want us to see today just how faithful we have, uh, just how faithful to God we have. But I also want to warn us. I also want to warn us to not presume upon that faithfulness. To not run to Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 and says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you and think we can just do whatever we want to do. He's faithful to bless. He's faithful to discipline. We'll see that. God's faithfulness is not meant to be presumed upon. It is meant to be respected, it's meant to be feared, it's meant to be leaned upon, to build your whole life upon. Not presumed upon. It's not a license. And so I want to study Lamentations Day and, and help us to see that. God, first thing on your handout, you'll see there. God, first, first truth we see in Lamentations. God's faithfulness demands not only that He bless obedience as He has promised, but that He judge and discipline sin as He has promised, even in His own people. This is a key purpose to Lamentations. Every, and if you, every generation fights the same temptations, fights the same battles that Israel 
fought, the people of Israel fought, every year, every year the Jews would read certain books. Lamentations was one of them, and they would memorialize. They did that to memorialize. It was interesting, even today in the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, as often as you eat and drink of this, do what? Do it in remembrance. Because we tend to forget. Every year, the Jews would read Lamentations, and they would memorialize the worst event in their history up to that point, the Babylonian destruction the question becomes, why? We live in a world where we want to forget. Especially the worst things. We want to forget. We want to gloss over it. Why not hide that? Why not? Why, why not? That's how we would do things. We certainly wouldn't include in here your, your God, your people's great sin. Oh, and your great response to that sin. And yet God does. Why? It's because He's faithful. Because you and I in here today are very tempted to presume upon the faithfulness of God. You see there A on your, in your handout. Why would they read this every year? What, what would that offer? What would it offer even us opening up today? Lamentations reminds everyone that sin, in spite of all of its allurement and excitement, carries with it a heavy weight of sorrow and grief and consequence. Heavy, heavy weight of sorrow and grief and consequence. Future generations of Israel needed to be reminded so that they did not fall in the same trap as did the previous generations, but also that they would be encouraged to pursue covenant loyalty with their great God. Again, Deuteronomy 28 through 30 laid these out. If you, hey, obey, blessings. Disobey, curses. Again, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. There's consequences. Forgiveness, yes. Consequences, yes. I mean, Israel had brought this upon themselves. Look, look at the consequences of their sin, of their unfaithfulness to the Lord. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. How lonely sits the city. That was full of people. You see how, fall, how far it's fallen? She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess, was a princess among the provinces, has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her. All, among all her lovers, all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Sin, that's where sin leads you. That's where the promise and the allurement of sin leads you. The idea of sitting alone carries with it in the Old Testament the idea of deep, deep sorrow and mourning. A city that once shined brightly now sits alone. Jeremiah is showing the fruit of sin. Hey, that in crowd, high school, middle school students, that in crowd that promises you, you know what, you know what's going to, they're going to leave you and you're going to be alone. That sin that Satan dangles out there and entices you with, listen to me, after you eat of it, you're going to be ruined in a sense. Devastation. Consequences of sin. And, and five times here in chapter 1, Jeremiah states that there is no one to comfort his people. Verse 2, verse 9, verse 16, verse 17, verse 21. He's painting a picture of deep sorrow and deep grief 
that was, that was brought upon because they chose to disobey God. It's a, literally a picture of being miserable. Look, look at verse 14 of chapter 1. The yoke of my transgressions is bound. By his hand they are knit together. They have come upon my neck. He has made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I am not able to stand. Sin and its consequences have become like a yoke. What, what the freedom that you felt like they felt like they once had, now they are bound in shackles to sin. It has become a yoke upon them. Controlled by their sin. The, the warning for us, the, the lesson for us is there on your handout. Unchecked sin can so bind the person who practices it in the way that all power to overcome it has been broken until you're in total despair. Huge consequences for sin. Go to Romans 1. For even though they knew God, verse 18, they did not honor God nor give they thanks. And what happened? He gave them over. He gave them over. Sin and its grip can get to the point where you, you can't break free. You're bound. You're in a yoke. The reason this book is here is that so you and I today even would learn from this. Sin always has devastating consequences. You don't get away with it. Forgiven? Yeah. Consequences? Yes. Huge sorrow and grief? Yes. Scars? Yes. James? Stain? Yes, he says in James. Lamentations reminds us of the huge sorrow that comes with sin. But Lamentations also reminds us, reminds everyone that God's faithfulness cuts both ways, not only to bless, but to discipline sin. Look, look, at, look at Lamentations 1.5. Her adversaries have become her masters, her enemies prosper. Listen, for the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, again, he goes to great lengths to make sure you understand that it is God who is doing this. Who is bringing about the consequences of the sin of His people and the discipline of His people. If, if you look at chapter 2, the clear emphasis of chapter 2 is that God is the one that is doing this. They, they didn't just accidentally happen. The point is, you and I, brothers and sisters, we need to understand God's hate for sin. We need to understand God's disdain for His sin. We need to understand how it hurts Him to see His people in sin. And, and, and if we're honest, when we think about God's faithfulness, if not singularly, certainly primarily, we think of God's faithfulness in terms of His love and commitment from the blessings side of things. Let's be honest. When we think of His faithfulness, that's where we go immediately. God is love. God is love. I mean, we, 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 we've made God out to be like this grandpa type of figure that, hey, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, He's sending me home with $10. No matter what happens, just come on up. You know what? I'm a, just come on. No, no, listen. Sin's a big deal. The sin of God's people is a big deal. And, and Israel had done the same. They had grown cold. 
they had grown indifferent to their position as, God, as God's people. And, and theologians give really three overarching, three overarching areas in which they had grown cold that led to this. And, and I want to share them too because I think they're dangers that you and I face today as believers. How did Israel get here? First thing, God's people had abandoned him. They abandoned God. You, you saw it in verse 5. Listen to verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned greatly. Therefore, she has become an unclean thing. All who honored her despised her because they have seen her nakedness. Even she herself groans. Listen, they weren't so bold as to not believe that God existed. They simply treated him as if he was irrelevant to their lives. They would have acknowledged his presence. But they treated him as if he was irrelevant. Temple worship had become formal, had become unsatisfying, just going through the motions. God's leaders were catering to the people. They weren't, they weren't speaking the truths that they needed to hear. Listen, my job, unfortunately, is to, is to speak the word of God whether you want to hear it or not. The last thing you want from me is to tell you what you want to hear versus what you need to hear. Because listen, go to 2.14. Your prophets, part of their issue was their leadership. Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions and they have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity. But they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. You know what they did? They told the people what they wanted to hear. They wouldn't call out sin. catered to them. But not only had they abandoned God, God's people departed from His Word. Look at verse 18. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against His command. Hear now, all peoples, and behold my pain. My virgins and young men have gone into captivity. Look at verse 20. See, O Lord, for I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious. The, 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 listen, the natural overflow from thinking that God is irrelevant is that you forget His Word. It's a natural, over, it's a natural consequence. Once you feel like God is irrelevant, once you lose that awe, you're no longer going to pay attention to what He says. We, we know from history they had stopped reading the law, the Word, that they had great ignorance with regards to the Word, with regards to God's will, their, their li and their lives followed suit. If we don't need God, we certainly don't need His Word. Listen, one of the ways we know that we treat God as irrelevant is because we don't treat His Word rightly. We don't come to Him through His Word. The natural overflow of seeing Him for who He is is you come to His Word hungry because you want to know of Him. You want to align your life and submit your life to Him. But not only had they abandoned God and His Word, the people began to transfer their trust to other people and other things. You see the warning in 1 Timothy 6 about riches. The, the, the problem is that we begin to hope in those riches instead of God. That's all of our battle. Instead of relying on God, you can look at chapter 4, verse 12. They relied on their military alliances. Hey, as long as we got these other guys lined up, we're good. Nobody is going to enter into our gates. Why? Because we have worldly military alliances. You and I battle with that same thing. Nothing's going to happen to me. I got stuff in the bank. I got this. I got that. I got all these places misplaced trust. Our trust is in the Lord. 
And what Lamentations teaches us is, listen, when we treat, when again, not say God doesn't exist, but we just put Him to the peripheral of our lives and treat Him as irrelevant. When we ignore His Word, when we begin to trust in things outside of Him, Lamentations is saying tragedy follows. And the lesson for you and I today as believers is this, high calling you see it on your hand now, presumed upon and followed by low living, inevitably brings about deep suffering. High calling, followed by low living, produces deep suffering. And Lamentations is a, war, it's a reminder, not only Israel, but it's a warning for you and I. Every single believer here today can fall prey individually to what we just saw nationally with regards to Israel. We too have a high calling. Lee, Lee highlighted that this morning. And when we fall short of that, again, in deep suffering. And listen, before we think, oh, well, that was in the Old Testament, you know, that was the Old Testament, that was a different God, you know. God's a God of love. You know, he's just a, he, he's, he's that big old teddy bear. He's that grandfather figure. Listen to Hebrews 12, 7 to 11. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which we have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Listen, God disciplines whom He loves. That the fact that some of us may think we're getting away with our sin may not be the blessing that you think it is. May not be the blessing you think it is. Don't hear me saying more than that. God is patient, Romans 2, 4. His kindness and tolerance and patience leads us to repentance. But listen, He disciplines His children. I discipline my children. Why? Because I love them. Do they like it? No. Do they always understand it? No. But it's because I love them. We have been called to be holy. We've been given that, declared that. And, and the reality is a God that would do that, it, let's be honest, that troubles us. The, the world sees suffering, the world sees suffering as deficiency, the suffering they don't see a value, they don't see a meaning. That, that's only a sign that things have gone wrong, and yet Lamentations pictures a God who is in total control and pictures suffering and disciplining it with a purpose. You go all the way back to Genesis 50. J Joseph's brothers meant it for evil. Guess what God meant it for? There's a battle. And yet we have a sovereign, all-control, totally omnipotent God who is never out of control. And God's discipline is never out of control. This is not an out-of-control anger. It is a measured, it is a controlled love of God that displays itself in discipline. God's wrath and His discipline of sin, listen to me, it's always justified. 
Something happened. I, mean, I thought about this even yesterday. Karen and I's phones were dying. We had to get new cell phones, and I loathe, I loathe that whole idea. It never goes as planned. So Friday, spent all day fooling with it. Then Saturday, I wake up, none of them work, and I'm mad. The bill's all wrong, everything. So then Bradley and Sarah, I'm already mad. I've got to go deal with this. Bradley and Sarah are trying to feed the dog. They come in. They're playing around. They drop the food. The food goes everywhere, all over the floor. And I'm mad about this, so guess who got it? Yeah, because I'm a sinner. And I had to go to apologize to them. I overreacted. Listen to me, God doesn't overreact. But listen to me, He doesn't underreact. He's going to discipline sin. Why? Because He loves. And God in His perfection, listen, at the same time can express hate and outrage against our sin and at the same time communicate love and care for the person sinning. The reality is this, if God did not care so much about you and I, He would not be bothered so strongly by our sin. And, and, and again, the danger that you and I face is to make light of our sin and its consequences. And, when, and, and then we make, a light, we make light of God. And listen, lamentations, you see it, lamentations is structured in such a way to prevent God's people from making light of their sin. God is patient, but we cannot take that lightly. God's faithfulness cuts both ways. He will love us through our sin, but listen, He will discipline us in our sin. And our tendency is when we're being disciplined, even by sin, our tendency is to take shortcuts just to get through it. Our, our tendency is to gloss over it and make no big deal about it. I could have made no big, even my own sin, I could have made no big deal about it to my kids and justified it. And I, no, no, I went to them and said, look guys, I am sorry. Your father sinned. I overreacted. Don't make light of your sin. Sin, sin is consequences. It's painful. We, we just want to get to the other side quickly. We just want to get through it. We just want to get it over. And God's saying, don't do that. Lamentations calls us to be attentive. If you're suffering today, be attentive to your suffering. Pay attention to every single thing God says in your suffering. Pay attention to how you feel in your suffering. Pay attention if you're struggled, if you're, if you're puzzled, if you're of your pain. Pay attention to that. Because God is teaching and most of us, if we're not on, if we're honest, most of us are not equipped to handle suffering well. And again, I say that knowing that there are people in here who have walked through they have walked through my worst nightmare. You've walked through it already. And you're, you show up every week. You're an encouragement to me. I talk to Will. I see Will sitting back there. Forever reminded, we were talking about before the service, forever reminded of the faithfulness of God, the loving kindnesses of God in his life. God is faithful. But learn the lessons. Learn the lessons that God teaches, even when his faithfulness demands that he deal with sin. 
He, 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 his faithfulness cuts both ways. But listen, the sec, that's the first point. But the, the second thing Lamentations teaches us in chapter 3, and, and this is the truth that all of us, you have to go back to. Even when you're struggling through the first lesson, go back to this lesson. God remains faithful no matter what we face or why we face it. No matter what you face, no matter why you face it, listen to me, God is faithful. The, the truth is, again, we suffer for many reasons. Some due to sin, some due to our sins, some due to other sins, and some it's not due to sin, it's, it's beyond us. We live in a fallen world. But, but there is a, there's an underlying truth to Lamentations that says, look, and this is the truth I want us to bind our hearts to. No matter what, no matter what, God remains faithful. And that's singularly what I want us to walk out of here today to be equipped that no matter what you face, no matter what you are facing, no matter what you have faced, listen to me, God is faithful. He's faithful. Look at, look at Lamentations 3. Look, start in verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wondering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down with me. That's the bad side. That's the suffering they're going through. And I love verse 21. This is one of those transitional verses. It's one of my favorites of all time. In the midst of the suffering, look at what Jeremiah says. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. And here's what he calls to his mind. The Lord's loving kindnesses, that word is kessed, it's his covenant faithfulness, it's his loyalty, indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. In the midst of despair, in the midst of the worst nightmare, here's where there was hope. It was in the Lord. In the character of the Lord. I would, I would encourage you to highlight that in your Bible. I would encourage you to memorize it. I mean, tattoo it. I don't care. Whatever it takes. Bind your heart to this truth. God is always faithful. It's very important. Again, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of the discipline, in the midst of whatever the circumstances are, in the midst of for whatever reason you're in those circumstances, God's faithfulness offers hope. Fixing, you see it on your hand, fixing our thoughts on the faithfulness of God brings hope no matter what we face or no matter why we face it. Fix your thoughts on the character of God. And this is a truth that, is, that has been throughout the Word. Even, even God revealed Himself in, in Exodus 34, 6. This way, He says, The Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, listen, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Everything has always rested upon God's character, His loving kindnesses, His loyal love, His grace. His character. 
That's why Jeremiah could endure no matter what. It wasn't because of him. It wasn't because of his own character. It wasn't because of anything he was able to do. It was because of the character of his God. And that God, the one true God, was never ending in his loving kindnesses. Was never failing in his compassions. Mercy was available to anyone could they could turn to God no matter what. And there are evidences every day of God's loving kindnesses and compassions. That's verse 23. They're new every morning. I think about John 1.16. Above your fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. I think about Psalm 3. You, O Lord, are the, are, are the defender and my shield, the glory and the what? Listen to this. The lifter of my head. You know, I, I, I fully in my mind think about some of us in here every morning. And you know how you get out of bed? The Lord. The Lord is the one that lifts your head. It's the Lord. He's the lifter of our head. Not, again, not just back in Israel's day, but also in our day. It's God's loving kindnesses. It's God's mercies. They're new every day. They testify to His loyalty, to His faithfulness. They testify to His greatness. The, the reality is, guys, God is emotionally involved in His people. He didn't just spin things in motion and say, well, whatever happens, happens. No, he is emotionally involved in his people. I mean, look at, look at 22, again, 23, loving kindnesses. Or look at 32 and 33, listen. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. Listen, look at this characteristic of God. Verse 33, for he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. He's not joyfully doing it. His faithfulness demands it. I mean, I one of the one of the highlights of my life, probably this may testify about me, I don't know. One of the highlights of my life is making milkshakes for my two kids at night. I grew up in a home where I've told y'all every night, nine o'clock. My mom made me a milkshake every night. The only child, that probably tells you a lot about me. Probably had a mom that was codependent, whatever, I don't know. Every night. And, and I've continued that tradition. One of the highlights of my night is sharing a milkshake with my kids. And yet sometimes their behavior simply doesn't allow me to give them the milkshake. And I've sat there, I've sat there, and it's taken every ounce of strength and prayer that I can muster up from God not to give them a milkshake. Selfishly, not to give them the milkshake. And what sometimes I'm not sure they understand, and I've thought about this to God, how much their sin grieves their father. Listen, I'm not God, I'm not as good as God. God wants to, as Lee said, lavish His goodness upon us. He wants to. And yet when we treat Him lightly, when we take Him lightly, when, we're, when we take His word lightly, when we live as if He didn't really exist, when we sin, and I'm talking about sin without, you know, where we're just flipping about it, that He can't bless that. I can't let my kids act however they want and give them a milkshake, and God can't do the same. 
But we got to understand, guys, how much our sin grieves the Lord. You see it on your handout. Our sin greatly hurts our God, and yet He remains faithful. And, and again, this is made against the bleakest backdrop in Israel's history. God remained faithful at the, wor- at the worst moment of their history. In that, listen, you and I can find hope. Evil is not exhaustible. It is not infinite. We need to be attentive to it. But listen, it's not worthy of our total focus. Even in it, God remains faithful. He remains faithful. He will never overpunish. He will never underpunish. Listen, when, when I underpunish, here's the problem. If you underpunish, people don't get the lesson. They don't learn the lesson. If, you, if you're let out from under the discipline too quickly, you don't learn the lesson. God will never do that. Trust Him. Wait. But see, God will never over-discipline. Because listen, when I over-discipline my kids, here's what I, here's what I destroy their hope. God will never do that. He will always discipline perfectly. He won't cripple you by over-disciplining. He won't, he won't, he won't let you miss the lesson by under-disciplining. The reality is this, he'll go through it with you. He'll go through it with you. And his grace will be sufficient for you. See 2 Corinthians 12. His strength will be perfected where your weakness is made glaring. But yet we can't presume upon Him to do whatever we want to do. We've got to trust His faithfulness. But that ought to call us to be obedient, not to be lazy in our walks. We must do as Jeremiah did and go back to this truth. God is faithful. Listen, look at verse 25. The Lord is good to those of chapter 3 who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it upon him. You see what he's saying there? I'm faithful to make sure you learn the lesson. Learn the lesson. God is calculated in his discipline and his judgment. And our hope is in God. He will not allow evil to win. And Lamentations offers hope, not only for you and me, but also for Israel, that no matter what, God is faithful. And, and you see that. The seedbed, you see it on your handout, the seedbed for our hope is God's loyalty. It's God's loyalty. Our, our journey as believers will involve confusion. It will involve lament. It will involve hurt. It will involve stumbling. It will involve sin. And listen, our hope is in the loyalty of God. We don't trust in conclusions, answers. No, we trust in God's faithfulness. We lean upon God's faithfulness. Faith in God's loyal love, love and His kindness. He will not abandon you. And it's this hope. It's this hope that involved the restoration even of, uh, of sins. It's that hope where everything rests. You see it on your handout. We must be a people that interprets everything, interprets everything we face through the faithfulness of God. Whatever you, whatever you face, no matter how confused you might be, no matter how despaired you might be, recall this to your mind. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease for His compassions. They never fail. 
They're new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness. When you wake up in the morning and you're doubting that, preach this to yourself. And at noon, when you're wondering again, preach it to yourself. And the next day, preach it to yourself. Get it deep. Over and over, build your life upon this. Interpret everything through it. God God is our portion, not our circumstances. Their land was gone, their people was gone, their Israel's security, their, their safety, their temple was gone, everything was gone. And you know what Jeremiah says? The Lord is my portion. I don't need a land. The Lord is my land. He's my portion. Fix your hope upon God no matter what. And you see it there on your handout. No matter what we face, wait patiently. That's what Jeremiah says there in 25. While we wait, seek Him by faith. While we wait, seek Him in prayer. And listen, what Jeremiah is saying is that our seeking and our waiting is fueled by focusing on the character of God. Look at verses 39 and 40. Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? You see what Jeremiah is saying? I mean, in view of who we are and in view of who God is, who are we to complain? He says in verse 40, Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. God is totally justified. This perspective. God is faithful. His mercies are new every morning. No matter what, God is faithful. No matter what you did, no matter what you didn't do, no matter what other people did, no matter what other people didn't do, no matter if you don't know what the reason is and you're sitting in circumstances, here's the answer. Run to God. Our sin, our pride, our circumstances, all these things, Satan wants, to, Satan wants you to run from God. And here's what, here's what Lamentations tells you. Run to God. No matter what it is, no matter why it is, even if you don't know why or what, run to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and it really, it's our own self-righteousness. When we sin, we get in this pity party and we wallow in it and we run from God. Here's, here's what that teaches us. When you do that, be reminded you're trusting in works righteousness. You're trusting. I didn't earn it. Therefore, I can't lose it. The seedbed of my hope as a believer is found in God's loving kindness, not in my ability not to sin. Do I want to sin? No. Do I hate my sin? Yes. But listen, my righteousness is is not found in my ability not to sin. It's found in Christ. His faithfulness is the basis for my relationship. When you sin, when you fall, repent and get after it. Run back to God. He's faithful. Do not be casual about it. But Jeremiah is saying, run back to God. Lament teaches, teaches us. You see it on your handout. When we find ourselves on our faces for whatever reason, God's faithfulness ought to allow us to run back to Him. Run back to Him. As sinners, we deserve judgment. We do not deserve mercy. And yet, in His Son, He has offered us both. Mercy. And in His Son, He poured His judgment out on His Son that you and I could have eternal life instead, if we would believe in Him. He is the seedbed of our hope. 
And ultimately, all of this leads to Christ. In response to the sin of God's creation, God never ceased being faithful. Listen, even to the death of His Son. In Genesis 3.15, He promised that He would provide a seed that would deal with sin. I give you Christ. In spite of all of Israel's unfaithfulness, God remained faithful. Listen, you and I are not perfect, and therefore we're separated from God, and Christ was perfect. And God poured all of His wrath out, do your sin and my sin on Christ, that He could rightly forgive you and I of our sin. Admit your sin. Repent. Turn to Christ. Allegiance, loyalty to Christ.